Good morning, good morning, welcome this morning, so glad that you are here. My name is Chris, I'm the campus pastor here at Milestone McKinney and we are thrilled that you joined us and just like Alex said, we know each and every week it's someone's first time, that's a big deal to us and so if I have not had an opportunity to meet you, I look forward to meeting you after service, we're so honored that you're here and you are our honored guest, so thank you for joining us. Well, we're picking up in a series called Let's Talk Family, and uh, we're talking about family because family is what's important to us. It's the thing that matters most. It's the thing that we care about the most. It's the thing that we want to work on, we want to grow in. It's the thing that we also find that can be the most challenging at times. I get it. I'm like you. I I have a family like yours. It may look a little different. We may act a little different, but I've got a family like you have a family, and that family needs my attention. It needs my energy just like yours needs. Uh, your family needs yours. And so how do we navigate that? How do we work through that? And how do we grow in what it looks like to navigate and build in a family? The truth is we all need help when it comes to family. We all, I need help. I don't know about you, but it, you come to the place where, okay, it's taking my energy. It's taking my attention or needs my energy, needs my attention. But then you come to the place where you're like, and maybe you've been here, maybe you haven't. You're kind of like, I really don't know what I'm doing. Anyone else been there before when it comes to family? Just me. Okay, thank you. Well, we're in good company. Okay. I mean, you you get to that place, you know, and you're like, okay, but we don't like that. We don't like being in the spot where we need help because when we ask for help, we can feel vulnerable. We can feel like we're not sure what it is we need to be doing or, or what things need to look like. And so we end up recognizing I, I need to ask for help. But I, I feel a little uncertain about asking for help. It, it, it's kind of this way. I, I'll, I'll put it this way. It's why I think YouTube tutorials were created. I, I feel real confident because when I don't know how to do something, I don't have to ask anybody and risk the fact that someone may go, you don't know how to do that? All I have to do is Google or go to YouTube and go, how do I fix a broken sprinkler pipe? Maybe I should know how to do that, but I don't know how to do that, okay? And I'm thinking, this can go one of two ways. I am victorious or I'm calling someone to fix a problem that I just made significantly worse, okay? This happened to me. This Thursday, I get home from working out, and all of a sudden, I, I get I'm next to my driveway. There's grass pushed up, mud and dirt all down the sidewalk, and I'm going, I know what this means. I've got, I, I, this first time I ran the sprinklers this season, I'm like, this is not good, okay? I kind of avoided it, right? Think like, like things in our own life that when it pops up and we see it, we're like, I'm going to avoid it. Okay, that's a whole other message. Okay, but I kind of avoid it, all right? And so, but then yesterday, I'm like, all right, we're going in. We're going to do this, all right? Get the shovel out. I dig it out. I'm like, how deep is this thing? I mean, I mean, like, do we have to go this far? I, like, I almost went under the, the like, concrete. I'm like, where? okay, so I find it. And I realize there's a crack in it, and it breaks, and so I'm, I go. And so I did what any of us do when we're trying to figure out how to fix a, a, a broken sprinkler pipe. I take my 11-year-old daughter with me to Lowe's, and we get on YouTube and figure out what do I need to do to fix this. And so we're there about 45 minutes. I know some of the men in here, you're thinking, Pastor Chris, you should have just called me and texted me. But See, I was just a little insecure. I don't want to feel vulnerable about that. I can go to YouTube. Why? You know? So I just decide I'll share it with you on Sunday morning with the masses. So I, I get in there. Finally, this gentleman walks up. 
<laughs> he must have been watching me. He's like, anything I can help you with, sir? I was like, actually, yeah, you know, this is what's happening. He's like, okay, you need this. I like, awesome. Leave. I get in there. I'm feeling real good about myself. I get it done, and I fix it. <clears throat> I cut a piece too short. Thank goodness. So this is why you have spiritual family, and this is why you reach your neighbors, because as you're connecting with your neighbors, you build spiritual family in your, neighbor, in your neighborhood. I, I cut the piece too short, but I only bought two couplers, and so now I've wasted one. And so I'm like, I text someone around the corner. I was like, you don't by chance have a random three-quarter inch PVC pipe coupler. I'm trying to keep from going to Lowe's. He said, I do. I said, I'll be there in just a minute. I walked over there. He saved the day. I got that. Put it in there. Boom, victorious. I turn the sprinkler on. There's no geyser. I fix the sprinkler. I feel powerful. Mm. Thank you. Just, yes, thank you. feel real encouraged. Now. I'm not available to fix any of your sprinklers because I may make it worse. Okay, that just may have been God's grace on my life, my neighborhood, my family, and my water bill that it, it worked out okay. I go inside. Now, here's where the story gets really good. So I start thinking about, all right, you know, okay, you know, you think about asking for help and things, and we help each other, relationships. So I ask Wendy, I'm like, babe, hey, I'm thinking about, you know, what I'm talking about today, and I, babe, what are some things that, like, you didn't do really well, but I kind of helped you with, and you've gotten really good at it. And so she, she names a couple of things. I'm like, okay, now I'm feeling super powerful. I fixed a sprinkler head, and my wife just gave me a litany of things that I have helped her with, okay? So then I said, all right, babe, well, what are some things I didn't do or don't do really well that you've helped me with? She goes, wow, there's a lot. Where do I start? <laughs> wait, 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 What? Time out. There's a lot. Well, she's like, well, where do you want me to start? I'm like, oh, stop, stop, stop. Slow down, okay? I went from feeling real powerful, like I knew what I was doing, to all of a sudden I'm insecure, and I thought I knew what I was doing, but now I'm realizing maybe I'm not a good, as good at this as I thought I was. And, and you're hearing me, and you're going, Pastor Chris, what's the point? Well, here's the issue. Here's the point. I think that's how it is sometimes when it comes to families. You see, we want it. The picture to look as though we've got it all figured out. And I know what I need to do, and I know how it works, and I know what's going on. And when things come up, I'll just navigate it, and it will be fine. Because in reality, we don't want people to see, maybe I, I really don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to handle this situation. I don't know how to have this conversation with my teenager. I don't know how to deal with this thing that we're having within our marriage and the conflict that we need resolution with. I don't know how to navigate these things. And so it becomes challenging for us when in reality, the best thing for us to do is to say, I need help. Because the truth is we all need help. I need help. You need help. We all need it. We all need help in what it looks like to navigate the challenges of life and the challenges of family. You see, we don't, when, when those things begin to happen, it's kind of like that insecurity. It kind of creeps up and we start to backpedal a little bit and we go, man, what do I do? How do I navigate this? How do I handle this? And, and, and what do I do with this? And so what happens is when that insecurity starts to creep up, it can be it can be overwhelming. And so we don't really know what to say. So we, we do it like this. We kind of say, hey, can you just, just pray for our family? Okay, yeah, definitely. Well, is there anything particular we can, like, how can we pray? Just, just pray, pray for the family. Just pray for us. Just kind of big over. Just broad. Just pray for us. 
When really what we're saying is we're about to all kill each other and we need divine intervention. Just say it. We all feel that way, but we like, just pray for us. Okay, what, what specifically? <laughs> you know? So that's what we do because we don't know how to say it. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to navigate it. And that's okay. It's all right. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. So how do, we, how do we do that? How do we navigate that? And maybe you're thinking, well, Pastor Chris, if you knew my family, if you knew the challenges and the conflict and the issues that we have, I really don't know if it's ever going to get better. Can I tell you? It will. It will not always be this way. It can and it will get better. How do I know? Because when I look at God's word, God's word always points back to family and it shows us that God loves family he cares about family and he'll make a way but there's some things that we've got to do when it comes to how God sets up for us to interact in family that'll help us be able to see that outcome come to pass you see what does every healthy family need what's the same thing every healthy person needs and it's the ability to forgive it's the ability to forgive now, I know what you're thinking. You just heard me say forgive, and you're thinking, Pastor Chris just dropped the F-bomb in church. <laughs> forgive. Wait, we're going to talk about forgiveness this morning? Okay, you're already checking out. You're looking who's winning or who's teed up, uh, you know, at the Byron Nels. Okay, Because all of a sudden, we start talking about forgiveness, and we're going to start hitting on things that may bring up some pain. And they bring up challenges that we thought, oh, time will heal that. Can I tell you, time doesn't heal all things. In fact, time doesn't heal anything. It makes it worse. Jesus heals all things. And when we begin to navigate what it looks like and we experience the forgiveness of Jesus in our own life and then understand and recognize the forgiveness we need to extend to others. It's hard, it's challenging, it's difficult. And when we look at God's word, there's a theme all throughout the Bible when it pertains to this. And you look at the words of Paul in Colossians chapter 3. Now Paul is going to give some kind of guidelines and aspects of how we interact in relationship and marriage and family and things like that. But he starts out with this in Colossians chapter 3 verse 13. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now you're reading that, you're hearing that, and you're going, wait, 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 what? Like forgive as the Lord forgave me, okay, I can kind of understand that, but forgive one another? I mean, how do I do that? What does that look like? How do I navigate that? Like that's just kind of other, and sometimes when we read scriptures like this, insecurities come up. They come up because we read that and we don't realize or think about how families in the Bible operated. We think that when we read this, we think all the families in God's word, they were just perfect and good and had it all figured out. But that's because we actually don't understand and recognize the biblical landscape of families. Let me just encourage you this morning and help you see what it actually looks like. Because there's no family in God's word that didn't have challenges. They all had issues. Just go back to the very first one. The very first family. One not doing what they should have been doing. And then one giving in to temptation and buying into a lie of the enemy. And then there's a bunch of finger pointing and blaming one another. You talk about siblings and sibling rivalries. 
the first siblings ended, that, 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 that relationship resulted in murder. So, so, I mean, look at your own family. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't think any of your siblings have murdered uh, anyone, okay? And, and you're doing better than the first family that we've got in God's word. You think about Abraham. We call him the father of our faith. Abraham was so insecure and worried and fearful for his life that when asked, who's that woman with you? Oh, that's not my wife. That's my sister, So if you're a spouse in here and you're wondering, I wish my husband would just cover me, speak up for me, be the leader of my home. Can I tell you, Abraham didn't do that. He had a moment of weakness and insecurity where he was like, oh, that's my sister. You think about uh, Jacob's father-in-law, Laban. He said, hey, I'm going to work for you. He worked for Laban almost 20 years, and, and he was working and serving in his home, and he wanted to marry one daughter. Well, Laban gave him another. You want to talk about awkward family gatherings? Christmas and Thanksgiving, Matt. Well, I thought I was marrying her. No, I'm marrying her. Uh, okay. Challenging. You think about Joseph. He was beaten, left for dead, sold into slavery by his siblings. So the families in God's word didn't have it all figured out. When you look at the biblical landscape, they all had challenges and issues, and they may be different than the challenges and issues we face, but they all had them. But I want to look to the words of Jesus. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to look at what Jesus says about this issue, this principle, this aspect of forgiveness, and how it impacts our families. Now, before we get into Matthew 18, let me give you just a little bit of context here. Jesus is talking about how to forgive one another in this chapter. He's talking about relationships. And, and you may be reading it, if you've ever read Matthew 18, people often say, well, is he talking about family? Is he talking about church? Yes. He's talking about both. Church and family and, and how we interact and how relationally we should interact and how we resolve things. Early on in the chapter... The disciples start arguing, who's the greatest among us? I mean, they're fighting about who's going to be the best. Arguing. Anyone have that in your own home? Jesus says, well, the greatest among you will be humble like a child. They're dialoguing, and Jesus is talking about the significance and the importance of unity. It's in Matthew 18 that we get the parable of the lost sheep. Jesus says, hey, this this shepherd left the 99, and he went for the one, and he's speaking about the significance of relationship, the significance of unity, the significance of what we do and how we resolve and handle conflict and issues in our own life and how that impacts our relationships, something that we all are exposed to. Primarily, first and foremost, in our family. And he says this, Matthew 18, verse 21. This is where we're going to pick up in the chapter. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, just so you know, Peter's being a little sarcastic. If you ever wondered, is there sarcasm in the Bible? There it is. You see, the reason he's being sarcastic is because it was customary at that time to forgive someone up to three times. It's where you get kind of the three strikes, you're out kind of principle. Sometimes we think that's tied to American baseball. It came before that, okay? This was the cultural context. 
And so Peter is kind of being a little sarcastic, being a little private. He's like, well, I'll double it and up one. Am I supposed to, like, forgive him seven times? He's going above and beyond. He's trying to prove a point, and yet Jesus proves the point. And here's what he says. Verse 22, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say seven times 70. And so it's in this aspect of things that you see Jesus beginning to really say two things. First and foremost, what he's saying is, look, you should forgive so many times that you forget about how many times you've forgiven. You're extending forgiveness. And what he's dialing into is he's saying, Peter, you're wanting to know how many times should you forgive? You're wanting to know, am I meeting up to the cultural norm and the aspects and the requirements that I check a box and I'm like, oh, I should forgive at least three times, so I'll take it up a notch and I'll forgive seven times. You're missing the point. The real issue in question is this, not how many times should you forgive when it comes to issues and challenges and conflict in your family. What he's saying is it's not about how many times you should forgive, it's what type of family do you want to have? What type of family do you want to have? What do you want it to look like? Do you want one that is fueled and filled with forgiveness? Or do you want one that's filled with strife and anger and frustration and bitterness and offense and hurt? Now, I know what you're hearing is you're hearing me say, so Pastor Chris, and you're inserting whatever it is that someone has done to you that has harmed, hurt, or wounded you. And some of those things are extremely significant. So don't hear me minimizing what's been done to you. But you're already reading this and hearing my words through the lens and through the filter of the pain that you've experienced. And I'm going to help us and help you understand what forgiveness is and what it isn't in just a minute. But we got to set up this premise here. So Jesus continues and he begins to tell a story. Now for time's sake, I'm going to summarize the story and then I'm going to pick up with what Jesus' response is in the the back half of this story. But the story goes as this. Jesus tells this parable. He says there was a king. And the king comes to this individual and says he's collecting on a debt. This this individual owes him 10,000 talents. Now, one talent is equal to 20 years' worth of wages. Okay? One talent. This guy owes him 10,000 talents. So you do the math. I even tried doing the math. And it's kind of like such a big number. It's kind of like my, 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 my calculator is like 2E10 or something. I don't even know what that means, all you mathematicians in here. But here's what I know. That's a lot. I think that the general, general thought, the broad number would be it's close to $6 billion this guy owes. He says, please be patient with me. Begs for forgiveness. And the king forgives him of that debt. $6 billion debt. Okay. Forgives him. He goes away. That individual finds an individual and a man that owes him one denarii. That denarii is is equivalent to about 100 pieces of silver, which would be equivalent to about a day's wages. He's so infuriated and he wants to claim that debt that he begins to choke the individual. This man that was just forgiven $6 billion debt. Is trying to strangle an individual for a hundred pieces of silver. And this is where Jesus, we're gonna pick up this story here in verse 32. It says, Then the master called the servant 
You wicked servant, he said, I cancel all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Now, you may go, that's an extreme story. That's an extreme example. What do I do with that? Well, here's what Jesus is saying. You you know, you look here and it says that he was handed to the jailers and then tortured. The, The truth is the jailers really didn't have to torture him much. Because if you were forgiven a $6 billion debt, but you were overwhelmed and filled with anger and rage that you would strangle an individual over 100 pieces of silver, you're already tortured internally. When you walk with unforgiveness, it's as if you are in a jail cell, but the door is open and the doorway is forgiveness, but you continue to reside inside that cell wondering, why am I locked up? That's what happens when we live with unforgiveness. That's what happens. And what he's saying is, look, it's not just simply about saying, I'm sorry, or I'm sorry, or just going through the motions. He says what? You must forgive from your heart. You know what I'm talking about, just going through the motions. If you've got children, you know what I'm talking about. Someone does one, do something, one does something to the other, tell me sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, what was that? Sorry. Okay, look at them and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm like, what? Use your words. I'm sorry. And put a smile on your face. Sorry. <laughs> now own it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, thank you. I mean, it was like a full-on hostage negotiation just to like, I'm sorry, because we don't like doing that. We don't like owning it because we've got to deal with the heart. Okay, you're laughing because that's what it looks like in our own home with our own kids. But can I tell you, the same is true in our own heart and our own lives with the people that we have yet to forgive. You look at this scenario and you look at this story and this illustration and and that's what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, I'm I'm getting at the heart of the matter. I'm I'm trying to help you identify what's what's holding you back and what's keeping you from moving forward and experiencing the health in your family that you really, really want. Here's what I want you to understand is that the only way to be accepted into God's family is forgiveness. That is the premise. You think of a perfect God, broken man. Our only way is through the forgiveness of our sins. So forgiveness is such a basis to our relationship with God and really with others. See, because when you hear that story that I just told, oftentimes, like myself, I relate to the person that was being choked for 100 pieces of silver, but we can quickly forget we could be the person doing the choking. We have been forgiven for so much, yet it's amazing how I will not forgive someone else who has done something far less in comparison to what I've been forgiven for. You see, this is what it looks like to forgive. This is what God's family is like. And the truth is, God's forgiveness is not optional. Or genuine forgiveness is not optional in godly homes. It's not optional. We've got to operate with forgiveness. But let me just make it very clear. While this may seem simple, it's extremely hard. Just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. 
This is hard. It's hard because we hurt the ones we love the most. It's hard because of the things that are said or done that happen within family, the actions that happen. They hurt us and they impact us the most. And so I'm reminded of this because it's so difficult to navigate this aspect of family when it comes to forgiveness. I was reminded of this when I was reminded of a study that I saw. I read a book. There's an author. His name's Malcolm Gladwell. I've read a couple of his books. One of his books that he wrote years ago is called Blink. And essentially, it's the thought of, like, what's your initial thought and response? In fact, oftentimes, I'll dialogue with individuals, and I'll ask them, hey, what's your blink on this? It's just a phrase that I'll say, but it really it came from this book. And in this book, Gladwell highlights this, this, uh, this kind of construct called the Love Lab. Now, the Love Lab started at the University of Washington. It was a couple of doctors, uh, psychologists, and sociologists, and... and uh, uh, individuals that were kind of studying the makeup of relationship and how people interact. And uh, there were these colleagues, and then there was John and Julie Gottman that came up with this understanding, and this is what caught Gladwell's attention. This couple could up to 95% certainty determine whether a couple was going to last, if their relationship was going to last. They thought, if I can just get and spend about 15 minutes with a couple, we'll be able to tell if this couple's going to last. What they began to realize is they began to realize that in about 90 seconds, they could tell whether or not that couple was going to make it, whether that family was going to last. So years of proven research and study, and here's what they discovered. In relationships, when there's challenges, when there's difficult moments, here's what they observed and here's what they noticed, that there's three main responses in a family. When those challenges come up, first is this, people will turn away. This is kind of the passive disengagement. They did something to me, they frustrated me, they hurt me, they did something, and so I'm going to kind of give them the cold shoulder, I'm just going to turn away. And they're going to pick up on it, and they're going to realize what they did was wrong, and then they're going to come apologize to me. Doesn't happen. They, they go, well, I'm gonna, this person bothered me, hurt me, uh, wounded me, offended me, frustrated me. I'm going to wait. I'm going to go talk to them about it. But you know what? No, no never mind. I'm going to change my mind. That's too much emotional energy. I'm going to wait till they realize what they did was wrong, and then they're going to come to me, and they're going to apologize to me for what they did. No, not going to happen. This right here is the most common response in relationships when there's challenges, disagreements, and conflict. It's also the most dangerous because this is the seedbed for bitterness and offense. Here's another response. The, the, the other response is turn against. This is like direct conflict. You get someone that's, that's uh, this is a smaller group of individual. It's a little more rare, but it's someone that like if someone pushes against you, comes at you, you're going to come at them. That's where you see a couple and you're like, man, that couple is just a volatile, just a volatile relationship. You probably have two people that are this right here, direct conflict. They're going, one's going to come at the other one ain't going to back down. You know, they're just getting after each other, you know. Direct conflict. But there's a third response. And this is the, the one that, that is the hardest, but it's the most healthy. Turn towards. You turn towards. There's a genuine engagement There's this healthy understanding of those that are wanting to pursue health. They say, I see you, I hear you, I know you, I love you. And this is hard. It's even awkward and uncomfortable maybe. But let's talk about it and work it out. 
Let's talk about it. And let's work these things out. So, so how do we get there? We all face this. We literally had this kind of conversation this past Friday. Kids get home from school. We're about to go on our normal ice cream Friday exploit. We're going to go have ice cream. That's what we do at the end of the week, you know. And I get when I get that ice cream, I get a tie. Give me a look at that thing. And they're like, Dad, pass it back. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, you're going to end up with just a cone. You're going to be fine, all right? I'm just a little lick, you know. I like you know. So we're about to go. All of a sudden, we're about to leave. And it was like World War III. Like, whoa, whoa, what is happening? Nothing crazy. Just a lot of, you know, just getting at each other, you know. That's life. You live with people. But we're talking to her. I said, well, she gets on my nerves and this and that. I said, you want to know why? Because you're around each other all the time. And you're all completely different. That's why you get on each other's nerves. That's okay. But here's what we are not going to do. We're not just going to keep going at each other and either be aggressive towards one another or be passive and disengaged. We're going to turn towards one another. And so we sat there for about 20 to 30 minutes and we talked through this. Okay? 11, 9, and 7. We're talking through this right here. We're working through it, having conversations, going through it. And one of, one of the girls goes, Dad, I mean, I know, I want to, but it's just so hard. Bingo. It is. It's simple, but not easy. It's hard. But if you will, you're going to see transformation in your life. Now, I'm going to pray for you here in just a minute because forgiveness is a big thing in our life and in our heart, and it impacts us significantly. But I want to give you some practical things just real quick to help you. Because I want to help you also practically understand what is, what is it and how do we engage with forgiveness on a daily basis? How do we experience forgiveness in our everyday life? Because we can and we can walk it out. First is this, we have to know what it is and what it's not. What is forgiveness and what is it not? Well, the first thing is this, here's what forgiveness is. And this is kind of a summary. This is a summary of Years of walking with people, counseling people, having conversations with people, years and years. This is years of evaluating and looking at what I've walked through, Wendy and I've walked through, what we've walked through together, and how we've navigated it. Well, here's what it is. Here's what forgiveness is. It's the conscious choice to give up the right to make things right. The conscious choice to give up the right to be the judge, jury, and executioner. And what you're doing is you're saying... God, I'm trusting you that you're going to make it right. Now, look, that's not easy. And if you're justice-minded, you're like, it's either black or white, it's right or wrong. This is hard to do. But what you're doing is you're saying, God, I trust you. God, I trust that you're going to make it right. I'm going to own my part. But I don't have to fix it. My response is not contingent upon their response. I don't forgive to get, you know, uh, an apology. I'm extending forgiveness because it's the right response and the right thing to do in the moment. Now, that's hard. That's challenging to go, I'm going to trust. God, you're going to make it right. God, you're going to do it. But let me tell you what forgiveness is not. Because this is where it gets hard. The reason it can be so challenging to understand what forgiveness is, uh, what forgiveness is, is because sometimes we don't know what it's not. First is this: it's not forgetting. It's not forgetting. You're saying, despite the experience that hurt me, I'm choosing to forgive you. I, I don't forget it. 
Again, it would be similar to if you loan somebody money over and over and over, but they had a gambling problem. If you continue to forget they have a gambling problem, but you keep giving them money, now you're enabling. No, no, I can love you. I can forgive you, but I ain't going to give you any more money. I know that's bad English, but that's what it is. I, it's not forgetting. Some people, oh, forgive and forget. No, you're not going to forget. It was serious. It was a real thing, and it really really impacted you and hurt you. You're not forgetting, but yet you're still choosing to forgive. Here's another thing that forgiveness is not. It's not an invitation to ongoing abuse. You do not have to continue to go back to being injured. So it's not okay. There, there are guidelines and boundaries. Some of us, and, and this is what pulls in the next one, which, which is really hard, because it's also not an endorsement of sinful behavior. I'm not endorsing what someone did. When I forget, that's what makes it hard. If I forgive them, then I'm saying what they did was okay and it was right. I'm saying that I have to continue in this relationship of ongoing injury and harm. No, you do not. You can draw the line and create boundaries. In fact, here's another thing that forgiveness is not. It is not a guarantee of restored relationship. The relationship may not go back to the way it once was. This is the hardest when it comes to issues with our family. Could be issues with our parents now that we're adults and have children. Could be issues with our in-laws where the way in which they operate and act with us or with our children causes us to have to create a boundary to say here's what it's going to look like and not look like. Perhaps ways in which our parents lived their life that are now unhealthy and they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so they operate in a way that is not healthy and we're going, I don't know if the best thing to do is to put my family and my children in that environment. You end up having to forgive them for how they lived their life, but then you also have to forgive them for the way they're currently operating. And you have to draw boundaries and guidelines. It's hard. It's not easy. But forgiveness is not always a restored relationship. And then lastly, it's this. Forgiveness is not rebuilt trust. Someone may wound you, hurt you, break your trust. It doesn't always mean that trust goes back to the way that it once was. See, Paul says this, Ephesians 4.32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgive one another. Just the same way Christ forgave you. See, this is hard. It's not easy, but here's what I recognize. Every time I try and convince, persuade, or help someone realize they're wrong, it typically doesn't go well. <laughs> but when I go, God, I'm trusting you in the situation. And trusting him doesn't mean I don't set boundaries. It doesn't mean that the relationship will be restored. It doesn't mean I have to continue to put myself in an unhealthy, abusive environment to be continually injured. It doesn't mean I have to forget it and pretend as though it never happened or it didn't harm me. No, not at all. But I'm trusting you, God, that you're going to do what only you can do. And when I recognize that, here's what happens. I don't have to manipulate an individual or a situation to get them to see they're wrong. But I can participate in it. And my participation is going first. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to choose to go first and I'm going to forgive. They were wrong. I'm going to go first and I'm going to forgive. You see, because when that begins to happen, you begin to experience things in a completely different way. You see, I said this earlier, it won't always be this way, but you have to recognize if that's true, you can't always be this way, perhaps. There's some things in you that have to change and have to grow. And as you begin to see that, it changes. 
It changes the way we interact. It changes the way we're intentional. I saw this little study this past week. It was kind of humorous, but it was also, I think, eye-opening. It's, it, it was this. It's, Husbands who kiss their wives goodbye live at least five years longer. Come on now. Man, I'm just trying to help you out. I told Wendy that. She's like, well, let's get 10 years. I was like, all right, baby, let's go. I'll give you two kisses before I roll. I'm down for the get down. Let's go. I like the way you think, boo. Like, it's, it's the, I'm going to go first. What is that? I'm going first. I'm going to go first. You see, I want to encourage you. I want to make it very practical for you. In a couple of, in a few days, May 22nd, we start our Freedom Small Groups. It's a nine-week small group. And we really begin to unpack. Our ushers will have cards for you. You can gain some more information if you'd like to small up, sign up for one of these small groups. But, but when we experience freedom... When we walk through freedom groups, we're really unpacking some of the areas that have impacted our life that we're having to extend forgiveness in. We begin to resolve and work through those things. And there's so many stories, countless story upon story about individuals' lives being impacted and changed because of the freedom they've experienced in walking through freedom. In fact, there's some individuals, they love it so much, they're like, this is my third time through freedom. And some people go, well, like, haven't you already been through it? And they're like, yeah, but I need more. And it's true. I need more freedom. You need more freedom, okay? You do, trust me. Okay, I, I'm just saying, we all need it. And so I want to encourage you, practically, if you're going, I really want to begin to, you're talking about this unforgiveness and forgiveness, and I want, to, I want to wade into those waters. This is a great next step for you in a very practical way you can. So this is how we got to recognize what is forgiveness, what is forgiveness not when it comes to experience forgiveness in our life. And then lastly is this, we have to practice it continually. If, you, if you're going to experience forgiveness in your life, you've got to practice it continually. Why do we practice anything? To get better. To get better. I, I was reminded of this. I'm not a golfer, okay? I, maybe I should be. I think living here, I probably need to be more of a golfer. We went, there was a little gathering, and went to Top Golf, okay? I got there. I said, hey, y'all just watch out. Y'all are in for a real treat, okay? So I'm up there, and I'm, I'm like, all right, you know, I just kind of get the stand. I know what it looks like, kind of, I think, but I'm a little stiff, so I get there. And I mean, I just, I'm ready. I'm like, okay, I kind of know what I'm doing, but I'm not. And I swing, and I'm like, man, I'm a, that thing must be in the orbit. Where did that thing go? I mean, I'm, there it go. I mean, I just, I swing. That ball was still right there. I missed that ball about three times, man. It was terrible. I'm terrible. I'm terrible. So one of the guys who was with us, he was, he was trying to be an encouragement. He's like, PC, I'm going to get you. I'm going to record you. He records me. And then he records me in slow-mo. So now it's like a slow motion of me looking terrible. <laughs> it's bad. Just real bad. So I showed it to a guy who, who, who knows how to golf. He's, like, he's, he's being real encouraging too. You know, he's like, Pastor Chris, it's not bad. Pastor Chris, it's not that bad. He's like, my son can help you. He'll work with you just a little bit. He'll get that fixed. No problem. I'm like, I don't know. Is he a miracle worker? I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's, that needs some help right there. But if I'm going to get better, you know what I got to do? I got to practice. I got to practice over and over and over in repetition. So what does it look like? How do I do that? How does forgiveness work? Well, again, we got to go back to this. It starts in you. It starts in you. You don't stuff it. You acknowledge it. You're quick to forgive. You've heard the example and the analogy. It's like taking poison and expecting the other person to die. You, you have to own it. I've got to go first. It's hard and it's difficult and the things you've experienced have been challenging. 
And listen, when you forgive and just because you go first, it doesn't mean you just go to everybody. There are times where someone offends you and hurts you and you do need to go to that person. But now that you're coming to this revelation, it's not, this is not necessarily a good practice. You go to someone and find that person and go, hey, I just need to apologize to you uh, because I'm mad at you. And here's all the things that you've done that I need to forgive you for. Okay, that, that, don't necessarily go and just give this long list of things to people that, that they need to make right. Okay? But it starts where? In your heart. It starts there. you got to go first. Because when I do that, when I go first, I recognize that forgiveness and how it works is directed to God. You see, I go first because Jesus went first. We aren't saying it didn't happen or is justified or is right. We're saying I'm going to give it to God because he'll sort things out. He'll work it out. He'll help me out. He'll do the work. This could be daily. It could be moment by moment. But in that moment, as those things come up, I'm giving it to God. I'm directing it towards God. That's how forgiveness works in our life. You don't have to chase the person down and convince them of what they did was wrong. Because when we understand that, here's the third thing. is the way that forgiveness works is it produces the very thing we're looking for, freedom. It produces freedom. You're in a prison. The door is open and unlocked. The doorway is forgiveness. And the longer we sit inside that prison wondering when am I going to be free, we have to recognize that that doorway is through forgiveness. It's through forgiveness. You, you think about studies that are done, Mayo Clinic, all these different uh, uh, clinics that do these studies, and, and they can tell, they recognize, they see. They see that those who do not forgive, have higher stress, anxiety, depression. They're overwhelmed. But those who do forgive, conversely, less stress, better mood, less depression. less You're going to walk through difficult things. But having walked with people, most of the time as we unpack stuff, people that have high levels of stress, anxiety, and depression, typically it's tied. There is something that they're holding on to, they've yet to forgive. They've yet to forgive. And so what begins to happen is you begin to recognize that this impacts our life in such a significant way. In fact, the longest lifestyle study ever done, it spanned 30 years, it discovered this, that the quality of your life at 80 was determined by the quality of your relationships at 50. They studied people 30 years those people that had a higher quality of life at 80 years old had healthy relationships at 50. You can experience forgiveness. That's the great thing about today. You don't have to go chase that person down. You can experience forgiveness today right here where you're seated.